All right, can you hear me? I can. Hallelujah. <laughs> hey, sorry, I don't know what was going on. I was trying to connect with the wired headset and it wasn't letting me. You know, I've never had one smooth opening yet. There's always been something and it's the headset or the Wi-Fi. I don't know what it is. There's always something. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. So how's it going, Robin? It's good. How's it going with you? Pretty good, man. Good. Excellent. Excellent. So thank you for joining me on my little podcast here. Um, I'm, I'll just jump straight into it. I'm going to give a few highlights of you and then we'll go straight into the questions. That, is that okay? Yeah, no problem. Okay, cool. So um, previously you, you were a franchise owner and a franchise creator. You created franchises and distributed them. You've owned up to 34 physical lake locations. So that, that was in the past. This is what you did before. You were successful at that. But now you have moved solely into, you are a creator and CEO of Joe Froyo, a consumer packaged goods company with multiple products in grocery stores. And you live and operate in Southern California. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. Okay. Awesome. So um, a little different aspect to some of the, my previous interviews, you're, you're mainly focused in business, but I think that's great because frankly, I think, you know, strictly the business side is a little more difficult than just the real estate side. So hopefully um, my listeners can learn something from your strategies and your, your history. So um, just to start off with, can you tell us about what your current focus is and what location you typically like to operate in? Sure. Well, the current focus is a consumer packaged goods company. So we don't have a location other than a warehouse distribution center and uh, contract manufacturing. So different from the franchise world where you basically sign a lease, you're married to that site for five years, plus a couple of five-year options. Um, those are fantastic opportunities, but they're very location specific, right? It's all about the foot traffic. It's ingress, the egress, the parking, the visibility, which are all great. Uh, if you're going to be in business at a specific spot, those are very important factors to look for. When you get into the consumer packaged good or CPG world, it's more about distribution and the ease of uh, contract manufacturing, you know, locating ge geographically, I guess, close to where your manufacturers are, your supply chain and all that stuff. So uh, we are centrally located here and close to Ontario, Southern California, not Canada, <laughs> uh, Southern California, where it's really, I mean, it's become one of the biggest inland hubs in the United States. It just surpassed Atlanta, which is formerly the largest inland hub. So what that means is basically inland hub being like a port, like a seaport, mm -hmm. except it's obviously inland where the rail, uh, the trucking infrastructure, um, even the airlines can land here at Ontario International Airport and uh, get products and packages and and goods and services out really, really efficiently. So we're here in Southern California. We also have another location up in uh, Washington State. It's uh, just south of Seattle, south of Tacoma in the city of Lakewood and another distribution center there, again, servicing uh, mainly the Northwest, Pacific Northwest. So if you take the geographic location of Washington State and Southern California, we're, uh, we're really well positioned to serve the Western United States from the two facilities that we have. Okay, cool. So. I have to tell you, I'm going to have to plead a little ignorance on this, and you may have to break it down a little more for me. So you you have products that you personally um, create, manufacture, and then you distribute, or you do this also, you do the service for um, other companies and their products as well? Well, contract manufacturing, those are suppliers that we use. So we don't manufacture anything. And I'll give it to you like this. If you were to wear a pair of Nike shoes, for example, 
Nike doesn't actually make anything. They don't make the shoes that you're wearing that say Nike. They contract mm -hmm. the manufacturing to a facility that's best suited for that particular style of manufacturing. So if it's a shoe company, they find a shoe manufacturer that's really efficient at what they do. They actually don't own any factories. They just contract them. They contract the labor, they contract all that stuff. What they do is they design the product and they, they basically market it. So they're, an, they're a marketing company and a design firm. Same thing with Apple. If you're talking on an Apple phone right now, uh, that phone is not made by Apple. It's simply designed by Apple and then outsourced to a manufacturer that specializes in manufacturing phones. So if you take those analogies and you apply it to what we do, we design and we market products. We create everything that goes into the product. We create the look, the packaging, and then we contract manufacture everything else. So we send it out to the best, most efficient uh, group or groups of companies for that specific product niche. So one of our products is a dairy product. We've partnered with a local dairy and local, they might be local, but they're also one of the largest international dairies that produces cultured milk products. So we personally don't manufacture our products. We, we basically find and uh, um, co-pack, if you will, with these mm -hmm. locations. So be it an ice cream, we co-pack locally here in Southern California with a famous ice cream company. They make our product for us with our spec. Same thing with our cold brew. Uh, we import the cold brew product. Uh, we have the manufacturer here, the dairy, they blend for us. They put it in bottles that we've designed, logos and labels that we've designed. And then we go out and market and sell it. So we do that with a range of products. But that's basically, if you ask, what do you make? Well, I don't make anything, but we make a lot of things. <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you for explaining that. It's much more clear to me now. Um, so you have to tell us, how did you get started in this industry, the consumer packaged goods industry? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's kind of an evolutionary process. Uh, I started as a franchisee and had a great experience locating specifically in a geographic area, finding you know good population densities for the product that I was selling at my stores. And I've done several different you know types of products. We've done mobile phones. Uh, we've done uh, ice cream. We've done cinnamon rolls. We've done pizza. And, and I think you probably know this, but I've opened 34 brick and mortar locations across several different types of products, several different types of services. And again, those are very specific to where you're at. Uh, when I sold the last group of businesses that I owned, I looked at the product mix and the portfolio of products that we had. And there was one particular product that I thought would be a really good, um, just a product by itself and something that we could expand much faster and much more efficiently than me literally trying to open up hundreds or thousands of stores. If I could create a product and put them in other people's stores that other people owned, other people had signed a long-term lease and other people had staffed that location every day, 365 days a year, what a different approach that would be and how much more interesting would that be to take a focus of of being a product rather than being a location type business. So that's when I looked at, okay, what, what could I do from my past experience that would translate well into a product? And that basically uh, was a, a coffee beverage. The last company I owned was a coffee company. We also had a yogurt shop and I combined the idea of taking a frozen yogurt blended milkshake with coffee. It's a play on the Frappuccino world. If you think of Frappuccinos, you know, you know, the Starbucks empire, Frappuccino is exactly that. It's, it's coffee and they use ice and milk and they blend it together. Mm -hmm. 
I thought that I can improve upon that Frappuccino uh, empire. If I took my yogurt concept, which is, you know, naturally healthier, it has probiotics, there's extra protein in yogurt, it's lactose-free in most cases, or limited lactose. And you can add coffee to it and basically give yourself, uh, you know, a better for you, froyochino, if you will. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's what I did. I combined the two and I called it a uh, uh, froyochino. Instead of frappuccino, I called it froyochino. <laughs> uh, it, it was great. It was a good product, good invention. Um, we went to a science lab and pulled out all the stabilizers and emulsifiers and yada, 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 all the technical stuff. But what it ended up with was a really cool product that was very similar to what you would call an, an icy, something like that, where you walk into a 7-Eleven, you turn the handle and you fill up your cup with this frozen beverage that you can pull through a straw. And that was my goal. I looked at the convenience market. I'm like, all right, uh, 100,000 convenience stores in the United States. That's a pretty big footprint. And there's no way I would get to 100,000 anything. Right. The most mm -hmm. anything that I had ever owned at one time was 19, 19 physical stores, restaurants. And that's a that was a massive organization. So I'm thinking, man, if I had 20, 20 stores or a thousand stores or a hundred thousand stores, it would be impossible for me to re uh, replicate or duplicate. So I looked at the convenience stores, 100,000 of them in the United States. Half of them are corporate owned. Half of them are mom and pop. And I looked at, OK, penetration of. Uh, 5%, let's call it just 5%. That's like 7,500 locations. You know, you're looking at just a crazy amount if you just took 5% uh, of half of those. You just very, very small percentage. So anyway, I, I looked at that as how could I make a product for a market that's much bigger than I could ever be and simply take a small little slice or sliver of that. So I looked at uh, the convenience market. We came up with a a machine. We put our product in the machine. We let people use our machine at no cost. All they had to do was just buy the product from us. And it worked great. I was easily, I, I landed 10 accounts just right out of the gate. 10 accounts said, yep, let me do this. So within a, you know, I don't know, 30 mile radius of my house, I went and dropped off 10 machines. And we learned a lot from that process. We learned that, yes, people will take a free machine because free always sounds great. But no, they don't necessarily monitor it. They don't clean it. They don't manage it. It's really in the convenience store. It's all about convenience, not just for your consumer, but for the operator as well. And our product, you had to touch. You had to actually fill it up. It held six gallons. It could make about 55, 16 ounce beverages. But the problem was you had to actually fill it up when it ran out or before it ran out. Once a week, you'd need to clean this machine. You'd need to flush the whole machine out sanitize the whole thing, break down the parts, put the lubrication back in there so you don't hear crazy squeaking sounds. It was just too much work. It was too difficult. So it was a great idea, great concept. It rolled out really easily. It was very successful from a, a taste and quality perspective. It just wasn't the right market at the right time. So I looked at what we did right and what we could change. And I saw the portability was a real opportunity. Taking a frozen beverage you can't get very far. It's about a 20 to 30 minute shelf life and you need to consume that beverage. The beverage was really tasty, but um, I looked at bottling the beverage. I looked around at the convenience store. What's in the convenience store that doesn't have to be managed, doesn't have to be refilled, doesn't have to be sanitized. And there's like 25 doors of refrigerated space staring at me. So I'm looking at that thinking, how do I get into that? How do I get a product 
inside that refrigerator door so somebody can just grab it, go up to the front counter and pay for it and leave rather than having it sitting there on a countertop where they have to pull the handle and all that good stuff. So we transitioned from a frozen blended beverage into a bottled beverage or what we call RTD, ready to drink. Again, it's a more portable version. It's not frozen, but just like the Frappuccino, if you think about Starbucks at the store or Starbucks at the coffee shop, you think about the Frappuccino, it's different. You go to a Starbucks coffee shop, the Frappuccino is ice blended. If you go to right. the convenience store and the Frappuccino is actually in a bottle, in a liquid form inside the cooler. So they made that transition from uh, a frozen blended to a bottled beverage. And I would argue that they sell a lot more by volume and by dollar out of that ready to drink beverage than they do at the frozen blended level. So that's the same transition that we went through. We made the leap to that product base. And from there, we continued to iterate. We had a cold brewed product that's in a bottle with probiotics, protein, and caffeine. Then we went to, okay, what if somebody else wants their coffee and not our coffee in this beverage? So we came out with the creamer. So you can basically take our creamer and pour it into your coffee. So it's your coffee, your favorite blend of coffee, your favorite region of the world coffee. And you can put our creamer, which is lactose-free, contains seven live and active probiotic cultures and no added sugar. And so you can enjoy the experience basically curated by yourself or by your, by your favorite product. We push that even further into an ice cream. It's a lactose-free probiotic, prebiotic, uh, and extra protein ice cream. We have nine different flavors of ice cream we sell in the pint world. That's also a, a really good grab and go, uh, either for grocery stores, convenience stores, hotels that have little lobby snack shops and all that good stuff. So we continue to iterate and innovate within the dairy space. Uh, I really feel so, that this space, this is an awesome opportunity to be in uh, in this business. So. Yeah, and, and thank you for going into all that detail and, and really the evolution um, I, in a very short summary, I imagine, from how you got to the, the 34 physical locations. And of course, you didn't go, you go through that part of it, but you go from the physical locations to your test trial run with... Um, a, a frozen blended on-site type of machine and then your lessons learned from that into now um, where you're moving towards into many different products which include you know a ready-made ready ready to drink um, product that that people can buy right off the shelf uh, you know you know I think uh, what a lot of people are thinking right now is that you know there are so many people that that have an idea they think it's a great idea and they think you can make them a lot of money, but you know the difference is is the execution. And you're clearly an execution person. You 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 continue to execute on all the ideas that you create, and and are successful at iterating those ideas until they become successful. Do you have any idea why you are able to do that when maybe so many other people have, have find that to be the biggest hurdle? Um, any comment on that? You know, I think it just comes down to uh, really wanting to do this business. I think if, maybe it's not even just wanting to do it. It's actually trying it, trying and iterating and seeing if there's a process that you can find that would make it more convenient or even possible or feasible for you to become, uh, you know, in, into this into the space. And I think it's really a mind over matter. Uh, 
gosh, there's a good term for it. And I can't, it's just right at the tip of my tongue, but I know a lot of people, they've got great ideas, but they have analysis paralysis, right? They just mm-hmm. don't yeah. ever push it to the point where they hear somebody say, yeah, let's try that. It's always just in the back of their mind and it kind of stays in the notebook and the notebook gets looked at and dusted off, you know, once in a while, but it's really a mental thing. And I think if you surround yourself with people that are uh, encouraging and say, yeah, you know, I have a friend that you should talk to, or you should talk to this person who works for this company who does something similar. And I think you'll start to realize there's not as many barriers to starting these types of businesses as you think. It mm-hmm. might be a little daunting. Yeah, you see packaged goods all over the place and you think, oh, there's there's never a face or a story behind it. It's just a brand and some logos and some colors. But there really is a face and a story behind literally every single product that you walk past at the grocery store aisle. And some of these grocery stores have 50,000 SKUs or you know, individual item numbers, 50,000 in one grocery store. And you think about the amount of people and the amount of resources and the amount of opportunity that's been created behind each of one of those brands. It's just, it's amazing. So I think it starts with just deciding, Hey, I want to try this. I'm, I'm going to be serious about this. I'm going to look on the internet. I'm going to find co-packers. I'm going to find designers. I'm going to find uh, resources that I need. And you'll start to see the steps and the process slowly comes together. If you, if you're persistent. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. And you know what, I think that could be a whole nother, um, discussion in itself, the the how you find people to surround yourself that are really going to not stop you, you know, create a bunch of excuses. But like you said, you know, promote it and, and figure out how to do it. And maybe they've already done it themselves. So um, that that's another great topic. But um, OK, so, you know, when I met you, it, it was at the meetup um, and you were talking about the, your Joe Froyo drink, the ready to um, drink off the shelf. Um, product, right? Um, I think you talked already a little bit about how you came up with the idea. It's really been an evolution. Um, do you do you mind talking a little bit more about um, how you you know the logistics on how you get it to the shelf right now? Maybe the 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 product realization process, like who makes it, and and um, m- maybe some of the financing behind it too. Like, do you finance it all yourself, or do you how do you go out there and get money to really go, go for one of these ideas. Sure. Well, obviously you have to pay, pay for this stuff before you sell it. And that's <laughs> always the challenge. Um, there are a lot of uh, funding sources out there. You know, it's kind of a seasonal type thing in a time of recession. There's a lot more private money out there. A lot, a lot of banks are less willing to do business in a recessionary environment. And then when things are going well, a lot of banks are out there that are starving for deals, looking for anything that moves with a heartbeat that they'd be willing to finance. Not literally anything, but things that have a good plan, that have a good idea, that have the pieces in place. So I think money is probably the least difficult thing to find if you're really serious about what you're doing. If you don't have a plan, you're kind of sort of thinking about, thinking about, thinking about wanting to do something. Like you got a lot of thoughts, but you're not really doing much. Yeah, you're going to have a heck of a time trying to get money. That's, that's not a good place to be. But a well-thought-out plan with a, a clear path of execution is super easy to finance. So whether that's family and friends, whether that's business lines of credit, whether that's a, a mortgage on your home, uh, or whether that's a traditional you know, bank line, it's, uh, it's really not that difficult. 
Um, the product itself. Oh, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, um, you know, if you had to say the top three, you know, two or three things you would go to a bank or even a family and friends <clears> with um, to, you know, to ask for money, what, do you bring a full, you know, um, business plan with you or is it just, is it a, more or less a conversation? Uh, did you show them what the returns would be, you know, after so many years? Yeah, I, I think you can kind of take it from zero to a thousand miles an hour too quickly if you try to overthink it. But if you just digest it in smaller bites, if you're thinking about doing something and you want to prototype it, you're going to start at that level and you're going to need financing that's at the prototype level of financing. That's your personal savings. You know, that's cobbling together a couple hundred dollars to have a design, you know, a bottle manufacturer produce a 3D printed bottle. That's 700 bucks. Mm -hmm. You know, you can get a 3D printed bottle for $700 or less. And there you go. There's an actual bottle concept. You put a, a label on that thing. You start to show it to some family and friends. They're like, hey, maybe we could help you finance um, the interim period until you get a bigger line of credit and put together maybe a, a loan from family and friends of ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000. Now you've got actual product that you can go and sell at farmer's markets and you can go and sell this product and really get some measurable results and take those results of, hey, we had 1,500 you know, products developed or uh, purchased. I sold every single one of them in two weekends and now I need more inventory. Well, that's easy to find inventory financing. That's a whole different type of financing level. You're not taking a risk on an idea. You're just buying product so somebody can sell it within 30 to 60 or 90 days. That's called receivables financing or working capital financing. And that can be as much as a credit card. You could just take your credit card, $5,000 balance on your credit card and pay it down every single month until you start to grow you know, more sequentially and larger and larger. So it's, you don't have to think, oh my gosh, I need you know, $200,000 and where am I gonna get that money? It doesn't start with that. You're not ready for 200,000. If you just have an idea and I gave you $200,000, you wouldn't even know what to do with it. You wouldn't even know where to spend it or how to spend it. So it's really much, much smaller bites and a lot easier to start than you would imagine. Excellent, thank you. Very, very good advice. Um, okay, what is the one thing you need today to be more successful at what you do? Oh boy. <laughs> What's one thing I need today? I mean, you never have enough help. So I think from resources on every front. From, so would you, uh, you would say it's the people, not the financing or maybe a, a better product or, um, but you, you think it's getting more, hiring more people that. I, I look at it from a competitive analysis standpoint, hiring somebody is great. You have to attract them to your company, but better yet, you need so many people to really scale. Uh, we would only be able to take our business to a very, very small level if we started with two or three people and never hired any more, uh, any more people, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we have 15 people now. It started with me four years ago by myself. So we continue to add people, and I hope that we double that headcount in the next 12 months to 30 people. We will never be as big as, say, a Nestle or a Kraft or a Unilever but we're going to get to a scale where we'll probably start to turn some heads. And that's the goal. I'm never, I don't, I don't anticipate myself trying to compete at that big level. I anticipate myself trying to get to a very small level that other people in the CPG world would notice. And they'll say, 
that innovation, that technology that they're using, that packaging, that marketing, and those accounts that they've established is something that we can extrapolate and we could see all over a multiple channel rollout. That's my goal is to take a small seed, plant it, improve the concept so that another larger company who has the infrastructure, who has uh, less expensive and more efficient manufacturing processes than I'll ever have, they have more headcount with human resources and salespeople than I'll ever have. And they'll take the concept and run with it. That's my goal. So people to a certain level will always be my biggest opportunity and my biggest challenge. What advice do you have for others uh, who might want to start what you do? Uh, gosh, that's, that's a kind of an ongoing topic that we've had this whole, <laughs> this whole yeah, podcast. I, I agree. I think you've it's answered mind a lot shift. of this. <laughs> yeah, it's just mind shift, really. I mean, you have to get your mind into a place where you're going to see if it's a viable idea or not. And you're willing to put your head or your, you know, put your thoughts to it, put it to paper, come up with some prototypes and see if it is a viable product. I've iterated several times in and out of the concept. And it's not just the very first idea I started with. It's not the first logo I went to market with, right? It's not the first product that I went to market with. Now it's a whole host of products. It's a business, if you will. So I think to get started, you just get serious with yourself and say, okay, is there ever a good time? Is there, is next year better? Is next week better? <laughs> it's two years from now better. You know, the best time to start is now. Try something, get it to the point where you're at a couple hundred dollars in investment. You've got a couple ideas to bounce off people. You start to put that product or process in motion. You identify the bigger ramp up opportunities and what it might cost to take it to the next level. But you get out there and, and just see if it works. I think that's really the biggest, uh, biggest catalyst is you. And how can others reach you? Oh, they, they can reach me. Yeah, via, via email. My name is Zach. It's Z-A-C-H. And then just as it sounds, at Joe Froyo. So J-O-E-F-R-O-Y-O.com. So Zach at JoeFroyo.com. Uh, email is the best for me. I get phone calls that I see a voicemail pop up. And unfortunately, I may or may not see it for a day or two. So <laughs> I'm one of those that's much easier to get a hold of electronically. So yeah, Zach at JoeFroyo.com. Sure. I think I could say the same about myself. Um, okay. Well, excellent. Thank you, Zach, for coming on my podcast and answering these questions. I think there's a lot that we can take away from this and um, I hope we can talk to you soon. Okay. Appreciate it. Thanks, Robin. Thanks. Bye. Right, take care. Bye.